Hello and welcome to day five of the machine learning challenge. And I have a question for you and I'd love for you to answer it down in the comments below. Have you ever gone into a learning rabbit hole? And by this I mean I'll be studying something and there's just one little concept that I just can't get to click. So next thing I know there's textbooks strewn everywhere with post notes and highlighters and there's 40 tabs open in my browser and I think man have I ever learned anything in my life before because there are so many holes in my education. This happened to me with the machine learning challenge. I started out with a Udacity course it was teaching me Bayes theorem but it assumed that I already had a basic understanding of statistics which I did many years ago when I took that one course a long long time ago but I don't remember any of the terms anymore so I started to dive down into the statistics rabbit hole and I got so far down that I was like you know what maybe I need to pause the machine learning challenge and go learn statistics and I don't know maybe even linear algebra and then I'll come back I'll do machine learning. But luckily I was like, no, that's not how you should do this. You should slowly learn stats and linear algebra along the way where you're doing machine learning. And this way you have something to apply it to. So it's gonna be a lot more fun. But before I got out of that rabbit hole, I had watched a video by Veritasium and he recommended a book called The Theory That Wouldn't Die. And this is all about Bayes' theorem and why it was contentious and still sometimes is contentious in the world of mathematics. And I never think of mathematics being like this battle royale between different theories and sectors. Like growing up, I was just thought, you know, a math person comes up with a proof and takes it to his math friends and they're like, oh yeah, this proof works. Or they're like, no, 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 that proof doesn't work. You should go, you know, go back and do better math. Like that's how in middle school I thought math worked. But if you ever listen or read about like the history of math, it's very, very much a battle between different sides. And in our case for this, there's the frequentist side and there's the Bayesian side. And again, I did not take this intro to stats class <laughs> online. So from what I can gather from this book, she doesn't go deep into the math. She mostly goes over the history. Frequentists are like what you normally think of with statistics and they're the distribution curve and they take lots of data and lots of samples and they build up this this curve that you're going to look at to infer data in the future. But they do experiments or they get the data from somewhere. And Bayesians, they use a lot of data that exists, but when there's holes, then you kind of look for experts or prior advice or intuition and they kind of try to gleam things from that. It was called the inverse problem. Uh, Laplace had actually come up with the math part of the Bayesian theory. He had so much trouble with some of the math that he made. I think that's why he made Laplace transforms to try and make the math simpler for him. It was called the inverse problem. So it's when you're looking at something and you're trying to work backwards into how did it actually happen. So that's what Bayesians kind of do. And it's really useful in a lot of cases, but I can see why it's contentious because you're not actually building up all your evidence, but sometimes you just don't have the evidence and the knowledge you need beforehand and maybe you have some intuition that you can use. One of the more famous examples that she pointed out was Turing used this during the war when they were trying to figure out the Enigma code to crack. Like the code was way too hard so he had to use Bayesian statistics to try and narrow down the focus so they could actually crack the code. And once they did then they used Bayesian statistics to try and trick the Germans because you didn't want to use the cracked codes to just decimate them because then they would know that hey they've cracked their code we gotta change this so you could only win a battle or two. So he used Bayesian statistics to figure out how can we try and beat them some but not enough that they know that we've cracked it. So that was one of the first uses but they destroyed all the evidence of this because it was really good. It worked really well. They also used Bayesian statistics to find
find ships. They didn't know where it was. That's how they figured it out with very little data. Like how do we narrow down our search area and refine it as we go along? So we've looked here. Now we should look over here. It's more probable. And they didn't have like tons of ammunition. So when they need to do ammunition testing, they use Bayesian statistics for that too. So it was super helpful during the war. And they are like destroy all the evidence because we know that the Russians have uh, other codes and we might need to crack them in the future. So Bayesian statistics was not talked about and all of the successes. So in the statistical circles, it still wasn't applied and people didn't know about its success. Over the years, it seems like the people that used Bayesian statistics really were the people that applied it rather than the hardcore math people at first. So some of the applications were also workers comp when there was all the industry like building up and people were getting hurt and they're like, how do we do insurance? We don't have data. They used it for that. They used it with nuclear testing and nuclear warheads. Like we've never had a nuclear war before. How probable is it? Or we've never had a nuclear accident before. What should we be looking for? And they actually wrote a report and said, these are the things that you should look for. And then Three Mile Island happened and a lot of the things in the report actually came true, sadly. They, uh, they shouldn't have ignored the original report. It's used a lot in the medical field. So the frequencies, like you need hard data, you need links and to evidence. And for lung cancer, you, they couldn't find a link between smoking and lung cancer by doing actual experiments. But the Bayesians were like, hey, let's go look at the population. Let's try and make a link between uh, the two and see if there's anything there. And there was, and the guy that actually did the study was smoking two packs a day at the time. And when he was done his study, he was like, nope, nope, you gotta quit. And he went home and he told his wife and both of them had to quit smoking. Oh, and part of what Turing did was he tried to use Bayesian statistics to match German words to English words and correlate their frequencies, which is what Google does now for Google Translate. And I believe they used UN documents and it would look at all the different languages and and that's how they figured out how to do Google Translate. And Bayesian statistics is used in tons of machine learning now, now that we have the computational power. It seems like it was very cumbersome to do Bayesian statistics at some points, and now that you have all this machine power behind it, all this computational power, they're able to use it a lot more. I just thought it was very interesting, the journey it has taken. And there were like people that wouldn't put the word Bayes or Bayesian in their research papers because they were afraid that their results wouldn't be taken seriously. So I just wanted to take you down my little rabbit hole journey journey along the way and that's going to happen a lot over this hundred days. I start somewhere and then I go on separate research adventures. So thank you so much and I will see you tomorrow.